This is Matt Connickson. I'm the sales agronomist with CHX Ag Services in Oakley, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Whitney Pittman. We'll also have a report from Randy Conan down at Potato Expo in Austin, Texas. Extreme winter weather has led to reports of feeder cattle taken off show lists in the Midwest. Iowa State University Extension Beef Specialist Beth Doran says energy needs change drastically in cold temperatures. We've got you know some problems in terms of the amount of energy it's going to take for those cattle to maintain their body heat. And then for every degree below 32 degrees, they're going to have to increase their energy requirements 1%. We're down to basically zero. That means they've got to have 32% more energy than what would normally be. And that's assuming that the cattle, the hides are, are completely dry. That's going to affect, you know, of course, the average daily gains. I wouldn't expect that the gains, they're going to back off. They aren't going to be as great as what we would normally expect. The feed efficiencies is going to take more feed to maintain them. So feed efficiencies are going to be poor we would be if we were dealing with more moderate weather. Doran warns against changing feed rations, but rather adding to the total volume fed. Weather has also caused issues with packing plant logistics in some areas. We've had our, our share of it. Uh, you know, I know from the standpoint of looking at the packers, I know we've got some indications right now. If you read on the Internet, you know that some of the plants down in Kansas we're having trouble with their workers in terms of their workers not being able to get home due to snow. So we've been pretty lucky up here, at least from the standpoint of Iowa. Yes, we've had some snow, and yes, we've got some cold, but we haven't been in that severe blizzard condition, which is, of course, it's a bright spot in helping us. USDA will release its final crop production numbers for the 2023 crop tomorrow at 11. Standard Grain President Joe Vaklovic says this is a big report. This January report, it's a market mover, has been historically. I know a lot of people are looking at the South American production numbers, and those are important. They will change. I don't think that's going to be what moves the market, though. If you see a surprise in the report, it's going to be something on the U.S. side. I don't know which way, but if there is a surprise, it's going to be in one of those items. We know the Brazilian soybean number's coming down. That's going to be old news by the time it's printed. And trade volume for commodities has been lower ahead of tomorrow's reports. Brugler Marketing and Management Chief Analyst Alan Brugler says outside traders are more focused on other markets. I think we still have to look at the macro environment. Uh, the, the investors are not spending a lot of money on commodities right now because the stock market's been pretty good and inflation's been coming down. And uh, those are reasons to not be chasing the, the commodities, but that can change. Uh, we we st- saw a little higher CPI this morning uh, in, for December, so uh, food food and housing were a little stronger than expected. That, that could help us on the ag side uh, coming after the reports. According to a new poll from AgriPulse and the Stratovation Group, farmers and ranchers support another presidential term for Donald Trump. The survey, which was conducted in mid-December, found 39% of the farmers surveyed said they would most likely vote for Trump. Only 8% of the surveyed farmers said they wanted President Joe Biden to be re-elected. More than 600 farmers in the Midwest, South, and California were surveyed. The first presidential vote will happen Monday with the Iowa caucuses. As Potato Expo continues in Austin, Texas, 
Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Randy Conan bumped into NDSU Extension potato agronomist Andy Robinson. Andy, it's not real often that we bump into each other on a trade show floor where you're not doing a presentation. Yeah, no, it's true, actually, but I do have a poster presentation here, actually. Yep. Okay, what are you talking about? Uh, the poster presentation is actually very specific to Minnesota, utilizing turkey manure as part of your nitrogen management strategy for potatoes. Okay, and uh, can you give, fill us in a little bit on what your research is finding? Sure, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, there's a lot of turkeys, of course, in Minnesota. And uh, what we're looking at is, is adding about three or five tons of turkey manure and then the addition of a little bit of ESN, maybe 50 to 100 pounds, and the effects that it has on potato production. And really what the, the data show are that, yeah, you can utilize turkey manure as a source of nitrogen. A little bit of ESN does help. And, you know, you can reduce the amount of synthetic nitrogen you're using. Yep. Just the turkey manure itself, a little bit uh, not as quite as easy to use, but still at the same time, it, uh, it just is effective. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it may not be as easy to use. It's going to weigh more. you got to, you know, put it on the field a little bit differently. But, yeah, it, it is effective. It actually tends to release a little bit slower, add some organic matter to your soil. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's readily available. Um, the price is probably a little bit less. And, and we really started a lot of this a few years back, kind of got into it when the nitrogen prices spiked. You know, we're looking at, okay, what are other options? So it... It's been used for a number of years from some growers, but we're just trying to get some data behind, you know, this practice. That's why I was wondering, because you drive through the countryside and you see piles of turkey manure all summer long, waiting for the next spring. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're always there. So it's a, it's a good way to use a resource that's already there. It's local. It, it's a nice organic product, and it checks a lot of good boxes. Talk about Potato Expo. How important that is uh, an expo like this to potato growers? Yeah, these things are these are great. You know, there's a lot of great networking that goes on. You can see a lot of these newer products that are out there. Um, you know, I think it helps growers tremendously on their ability to do what they're doing. You know, day to day and help them improve their production practices. All right, Andy Robinson with uh, NDSU Extension from the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan. A report from Potato Expo brought to you by Syngenta, the National Potato Council, AMVAC, Ag Country Farm Credit Services, Gowan and Bayer. The value of U.S. pork exports totaled more than $737 million in November. That's up 2% from one year ago and is the highest monthly total since May of 2021 and the seventh highest on record. Beef export values declined 7% to $786 million. Mexico, Colombia, and Indonesia were key markets for U.S. pork, while Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic, along with Hong Kong, were the best markets for U.S. beef. Find more farm news? Visit rrfn.com. Reporting agriculture's business, you're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Policy Solutions President Jay Truitt is cautiously optimistic about farm bill progress. March may be a little bit optimistic for us to, to actually get a farm bill marked up, but, you know, if you don't set a date, you never do the work before that, that needs to occur. And it does seem like some of that stuff has taken place inside the, inside the smaller rooms. And, and that's the first step in the whole process. The, I mean, the big part of the mechanics of Congress right now that's slowing us down is what you hear about every day. The House has passed seven of their individual appropriations bills. The Senate's only passed three. We're operating on continuing resolutions. And, of course, people's tempers kind of begin to flare in the middle of a process like this. 
Congress is moving forward, but there's still a huge hurdle to get over. The current speaker is doing what he promised he would do, which is pass individual bills, and uh, everyone would get to see what was in the package and know what they were voting on and have the uh, effectively a bipartisan committee support moving out in that. There's a lot of difference between the House and the Senate versions on almost all of this stuff, though. And, of course, the border is basically uh, the baby that is being held for ransom here and going to be forced onto the process. It's a, I know it's like an extreme term, but for the people that, that are really wanting border changes, it is they are deeply passionate about it. Falling numbers are a concern for wheat growers when selecting seed varieties. University of Minnesota Extension small grain specialist Joachim Wiersma explains what's happening to the germ. Normally a variety, when it matures, it has what we call a high temperature dormancy. It, it is the, the seed is dormant, it will not immediately sprout. However, when you have repeated wetting and drying, that dormancy is broken. Once that dormancy is broken, the enzymes, if you then get it wet again, the seed will imbibe just like if you would stick it in the ground and it will, the enzymes will get active. Once those enzymes are active, they degradate after that over time. So if you harvested sprouted grain, initially it still might germ, but eventually that germ will completely disappear. There's some concern over high variability with the same varieties from year to year with those falling numbers. Wiersma says that that's due to different weather patterns each season. Certain genetic backgrounds, if it has a cold shock in the basically the last week of the grain field period, you get a disproportionate lower Hogbrook falling numbers, and they will run into the 250 to 275s. So hot year... All the hogbrook falling numbers are going to be at three, 400. A normal year, you're going to be at 350 to 400. If we have a really cool year, we're going to be in that 300 to 350. But certain varieties then all of a sudden fall below that 300, even if there's no sprout damage. Rabobank Vice President of Food and Agribusiness Research Steve Nicholson presented at the Potato Business Summit Wednesday. Nicholson says changing consumer purchasing habits is just one of the many challenges facing the potato industry. You know, the baby boomers were pretty traditional eaters. You know, we're the, we're the biggest buyers, the biggest consumers. But as you get down the age range, you know, they have a little different view. They do like the fact that potatoes are a fresh vegetable. It's easy to prepare, it's convenient, but there's a perception of it makes me fat, it's too much starch, too much carbohydrates, um, so I don't want all that in my diet. And it, it, again, it goes back to the promotion to educate consumer about the value of a potato as, an, as a, nutritionist, a nutritional value to your diet. Acreage and weather are also challenges for potato growers in 2024. You know, we come into 24 with sub with drought better position, uh, but we also come in with very short subsoil moisture, a little bit of topsoil moisture, but then in the potato side, what's the water availability? And we, we've certainly seen across the upper part of the United States where water has not traditionally been an issue, uh, we start to see more issues and we're starting to see more monitoring of that water use because we don't want to run out. So I think those are all issues that we have to watch in the potato industry as we go forward. The North Dakota State College of Science at Wapaton has received a $500,000 donation from Linda Kosel-Patterson. 
The money will be used to create the Coastal Family Agriculture Lab. The Coastal and Patterson families donated 95 acres of farmland to the NDSCS Alumni Foundation to support the school's ag programs. A month ago, the Yagi family donated $1 million for the renovation of the NDSCS Agricultural Center. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. An Australian-based company called Lone Bio is launching a program called Carbon Builder in the U.S. this year. Portfolio lead Jake Olson says this is a soybean microbial seed overtreatment that builds soil carbon. Yeah, so Carbon Builder is a uh, dry flowable product, a flowability agent that gets applied with the planter while you're planting. It's a it's a fungi-based um, graphite talc powder, um, and that really allows our technology to be planted alongside, along with this, with along with the seed itself. And so, the the benefit of that is that we're no we're not asking folks to change their practices. We're really looking to integrate into what you're already doing, as in planting your soybeans. Um, so you don't have to have a different path or change your practices. Uh, really flows, you know, pretty well right in with the operation. The Lone Bio system captures more carbon and protects yield. We never want to see a yield drag at all. Uh, we know that carbon within the soil has a lot of, you know, benefits to to the soil in that relationship with its crop. So managing carbon within the soil is obviously going to give you that improved soil structure, potentially higher stress tolerance. You know that increased nutrient mobilization, but you know our main focus is with Carbon Builder is is really building that stable carbon within the soil. Olson said the Carbon Builder soybean product is available through local independent retailers. Taking a look at markets before we leave you: March Minneapolis wheat down seven and a half, and May down six and three quarters. Chicago wheat five and three quarters lower at six oh five. Kansas City down seven and three quarters at six sixteen. March corn futures down two cents at 457 and a half. March soybeans down or higher two and a quarter at 1238 and three quarters. February live cattle a buck 20 higher at 171.95. And feeder cattle January futures two dollars seven cents higher at 226.60. February lean hogs 60 cents higher at 72.67. This is the Red River Farm Network.